0: You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. Karen, I'm going to have you do that blood pressure prayer for me, if you would, please. Okay. That would be that would be exceptionally helpful right at this point. So, um, so the. Uh, so I want to welcome. Uh, we've got some parents here for Parents Day, it looks like, for, from Western. So welcome, welcome to our our church family here. And um, you know, the uh, as you might have noticed, Gunnison's undergoing a change of seasons right now, and uh, the season, this, we're going into snow season. Okay, the next one is snow and cold. Then after that, it's still snowing, and then it's road construction. So. Um, Snow and mud's in there somewhere too, yes, yes, but the, uh, the uh, I, we you know, in most of the country when it starts snowing, it's, it's, that means winter's coming, right, here it just means that Halloween's almost here, so, <laughs> um, so the, uh, so I'm going to share, I want to share with you about vision, and, and for those of you who've been here, you know, I've been talking about the, the book of Nehemiah and a couple different uh, books that I'm reading, um, reading about leadership and in and, uh, and vision and um, and and the biblical inspiration to those those two concepts and and you know to, to start I, uh, I for some reason as I, I kind of got everything finalized this morning i 'm in the shower i'm just like praying God please you know please make this for somebody in the congregation not just for me <laughs> to, today um, and I just got this Story, and I'm not sure why, but I think, I think it makes sense. But this story hits me that I heard a long time ago. It's probably urban legend, but it's, uh, you know, George um, H.W. Bush and Barbara Bush um, are, are traveling in rural Texas, right? The presidential motorcade heading out to their ranch one day, and, and they pull in to this gas station, and the gas station attendant comes out to, to, to fill the car up and stuff. And, and Barbara goes, Oh my goodness. And she hops out of the car. She runs up and gives this attendant this big hug, and and they're just talking it up. And George is like, "What is going on?" You know. And so she gets back in the car, and he's like, "What was that all about? Who is that?" And she said, "Oh, that was my my good friend Buddy from high school. We went, you know. He took me to the prom when I was a junior in high school, and um, he's just such a great great guy." And, and uh, George just kind of chuckles. She said, "What are you chuckling at?" He said, "Well, just the." Think- just think, if you'd married him, you'd have lived out here, married to a gas station attendant for 40 years. And she chuckles back and she says, "Oh, George, if I'd married him, he would be president." <laughs> right. So the so there's a there's a word about vision there, right? And a, and a word about leadership. Um, but the uh, the book of Nehemiah, you know, I'm not a I don't. Not much of an Old Testament guy, right? But the book of Nehemiah is uh, is one of the books in the Old Testament, and I love that Annie shared out of Malachi because Malachi was one of the prophets during the time that Nehemiah was governor of uh, Jerusalem, right? And so you had, um, and, and, and so those that's also the time frame right before kind of the 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 Old Testament comes to an end, right? And there's a there's a 400 year silence before the Savior appears, right? And So Um, so her, her message is timely with what, what I have to share with you about Nehemiah, but the, uh, you're just talking about who Nehemiah was, um, the, in my notes in my Bible talks about that, that Nehemiah typified Christ, right? He was an ardent prayer, prayer. Um, he was dedicated to God's law. He encouraged people to do, um, to do God's work. You know, equate him to like the James of the Old Testament, um, and so the uh, so, but he was the end of the uh, end of the line. Malachi, Ezra, Nehemiah were kind of the end of the line with the Old Testament, or what we what uh, what we might call the tutor for the people at the time, right? On on how to how to live and and pursue uh, a Christ like image, even though Christ yet had not hit um, come come to earth. And so um, so anyway, the uh, as I was preparing, you know, and I'm, I'm going to get into. Uh, Nehemiah is primarily where I'm going to teach out of, um, but the uh, you know Nehemiah chapter eight, the um, Ezra is reading the law to the people, and I'm just sharing this with you because I know John is watching this, right? <laughs> um, but Ezra is reading the law to the um, to the to the congregation, right? It says they they told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for for Israel, um, and goes on to say, He read it aloud from daybreak till noon, as he faced the square before the Water Gate, and in the presence of the of men, women, and all others who could understand. And all the people listened attentive, attentively um, attentively to to the book of the law. And so I was I was uh, reading that, thinking, Gosh, in the old days, right? I mean. First of all, four hours of, of listening to the Old Testament. Um, bless you all for uh, being here today. Um, we're not going to do that, but the, uh, but the um, you know, John, John texted me last night and said, Boyd, we're just praying for you tonight, believing that the Lord will give you His specific words for people tomorrow. And uh, hope you have a good time as you serve them, and you, as you serve Him in a great group of people, so I share that partly with you because that's just how John feels about all of us here today, and, and we know that. Um, and I said, you know, at this time I'm like, literally, this is this after, yesterday afternoon. I'm like going through trying to hone this down and not spiderweb into 14 different directions with what God has for us today, but just trying to to bring it together. And, and uh, I said, John, thank you. Um, I'm believing for that too because he's going to have to work a miracle in this. <laughs> you know, this message, and, and he says, uh, I'm going to catch this on YouTube, so uh, I'm like, gosh, I was just thinking about how different it is from Ezra's time, here we're talking about the same principles, you know, the timeless principles that God gives us to live our lives by, um, you know, and thousands of years ago, it was on a, on, a, on a, you know, an outdoor dais in front of, you know, with the, without all this technology and stuff, so, um, and here John's watching on, on YouTube. So. Um, but anyway, the, the whole idea of leadership, um, we've actually I've been talking about it with the middle schoolers a lot in, in Sunday school. And so, you know, they uh, they shared with me that they've got a class that they're in called the seven mindsets, and they're all kind of down on it, right? I mean, just and, and so we got to talking about, well, what are some of the seven mindsets, right? Like an attitude of gratitude and a hundred percent accountability, and and are principles that were really great principles to live by and great life principles. Um, and, and so we started talking about where do those principles come from, right? And, and how you could tie every single one of them back to what we learn about in the Bible and what Jesus taught us in the Bible and what the Old Testament law taught us, you know, before Christ was, was on earth. And so we, um, you know, and it was just that idea of having a vision for your life, um, around these biblically given principles for each of us. And so the, um, the, the interesting thing was how it had been kind of secularly hijacked, right? And it's not attributed, obviously, in the public school system to the Bible, but we, we've had some fun talking about these things and, and, and dialing it into where does this really come from. And so, um, you know, and here, you know, in, in John's teaching, and Annie's teaching recently, you know, John's talked about reactive living and that that's not God's design for us. He, you know, we are proactive beings and, and He wants us to live from that, from that place. Annie talked a week or two about transformational love and, and that concept of transformation. And so as... Um, and then... Uh, you know, and so the... Uh, those, are, those are kind of the concepts I've been reading about with, uh, with two different books. And so last, last week... Just I'm sharing with you all my shortfalls here really quick, just so we can get this all out on the table but um, but last week, John was talking about um, you know making sure that when that, that you're in the Word when you're in the Word, right and that you're not you know when you're talking to people about Jesus and about the Bible and about the blessing of his salvation that's freely given to us if we if we'll receive it, don't get into. A logical argument about why it logically makes sense—you've got to get, you've got to be connected to Holy Spirit and follow what the Holy Spirit has for you to, to say and to handle in that conversation. And so I was like, gosh, he's he's saying this last week, and I'm like, is he talking to me in preparation for next week? Because I'm like super logical. Uh, I mean, to me, um, the gospel is just logical, right? It just makes sense, right? But I understand that if 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 we go with logic there's always somebody who can theoretically outdo that kind of cerebral approach to things and so so i've been praying all week about you know holy Spirit, please be on this and please be in this but um, and the good thing is i 've been getting confirmation after confirmation on this, which which gave me a great deal of peace um, this morning when I woke up but the um, but the the two books i've been um, reading a lot over the course of the last few months is um, a, a couple of John Maxwell books but he's got a recent book called Leadership and um, as you know John may or may not know John Maxwell is a he used to be a pastor and um, hopefully this is working um, that'll take a second to come up but John, John Maxwell used to be a pastor now he's an author um, of leadership books um, and uh I love reading him because it's just the word is just infused in everything that he writes, right? And the uh, the other one I've been reading is a book called uh, Visioneering by Andy Stanley, and I don't know Andy Stanley. Uh, his first exposure I've had to him. His father is a famous pastor, although I can't tell you a lick about him because I don't, I don't, I'm not familiar with him. Um, but uh, but the whole idea of uh, of having a vision. For your life, right? And I was—it was interesting. Um, in the in the introduction to this book, he poses a question: If I were if I were to ask you to describe how you how you picture your life in 10 years, chances are you could paint a fairly clear picture, whether it's finances, family, your your walk with Christ, um, your involvement with your church, your profession. Um, and the uh, so I've been listening to this on Audible, and I'm like, gosh, I got to get the book because there's just passages I want to be able to share with you guys. And so. So I ordered that this week, but, uh, but I was sharing with a group of uh, colleagues in, in Denver last week. I was like, gosh, I, I, was, I was in a meeting with a client, and I just had this epiphany that what does this look like in 10 years? What, what am I doing? I mean, what does what is, what is our, our, our business look like in 10 years? What's my role, and is, is it evolving? Am I growing? Am I, you know, am I, am I, for the sake of my clients, am I getting better, right? And I just was sharing with them this whole... Um, Thing that just kind of hit me like a freight train in the middle of a meeting, um, and then I pick up the the book, and sure enough, the introduction page has this. If I were to ask you to describe how you picture your life in ten years, chances are you could paint a fairly clear picture, right? And so I'm like, okay, there's another validation that I, uh, this is this is the our our direction. But you know, a, a vision is a, is a destination, right? It's some place down the road that you can see. Um, that, that you're moving towards, right? And, and it provides, um, you know, Andy Stanley talks about here, you know, it provides passion, it provides motivation, it provides direction, it provides a purpose, but the, but the, big, uh, the big glue to that all is the, what he calls the divine element of honoring God. And so the, um, and I just have a couple of passages I want to share with you out of this, but, you know, he's talking about vision. He says, honoring God involves discovering his picture or vision of what our lives could be, and should be, glorifying God involves discovering what we could and should accomplish. We were created and recreated with His purposes in mind, and until we discover His purpose and follow through, there will always be a hole in our soul. Right, and the uh, and and the, he goes on to to quote a, a scripture from Ephesians about that we are God's workmanship, right? And that we are, you know, we're called to show up in that workmanship. And, and, um, and what, uh, what drew me to this story, Nehemiah, was this, this whole book is about the story of Nehemiah. So I'm not going to give you a, a book report today, but he said, that he said, let's face it. If we, could, if we could all heal at will, part the Red Sea with the flick of a wrist, or walk on water... It would make the process of accomplishing our goals much simpler, wouldn't it? We are tempted to look with suspicion at the Old and New Testament heroes who had supernatural, a supernatural ace up their sleeve, but not Nehemiah. He was just a regular guy, right? Who caught a divine glimpse of what could and should be and then went after it with all of his heart. And so that, you know, this story grabbed me, and the crazy thing, I was, I was reading a Maxwell book, and someone told me about this book, and I picked up the audio, and, and, literally, the day I picked the audio up, I'm reading the Maxwell book, and Maxwell references this book, and this author, right, and then I'm listening to this, and this author's referencing Maxwell, right, so the, this whole idea of leadership and vision, uh, in a biblical sense, um, is, is tied, is tied together, okay, and so the, um, so I finally am getting to uh, point number one about Nehemiah and who is he and what, what situation is he in. And so f- just a, a, a quick backdrop, um, you know, he was in, in the 400 to 500 uh, BC era, um, he was a, a slave to King Artaxerxes, I believe, in Persia or Assyria, um, but he basically was part of the, um, well, 200 years or 100 and something years into the group of Israelis or Israelites that had been pulled out of Jerusalem and enslaved in this foreign land, right? And so he, uh, you know, so so the uh, the the wall around Jerusalem during this time is in total disrepair, right? The the Jews have been scattered to the far winds, and and he's uh, literally enslaved by this king um, as what we call the cupbearer, okay? Which is a a pretty unflattering job i'm told right you get to taste the food and the wine to make sure it's not poisoned for the king right so um, a lot of turnover in that job supposedly um, but the uh but the uh this prayer here don't go don't go dark on me technology's not my best friend so is it still up there all right let's try to keep my hands on this to keep it moving so all right so um it is neglected the, uh, so chapter one of uh, Nehemiah is where I 'm at if you guys have a Bible, you can certainly follow along um, so anyway the Nehemiah is uh, his brother has has uh, just returned from Jerusalem and has shared with him kind of this this condition that Jerusalem is in that the walls are down the, the gates are burned you know there's people in poverty and they're just you know, the place is hurting um, and it just captures nehemiah 's heart and so he 's uh, He's, you know, verse four, he says, "'When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some, "'For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed "'before the God of heaven.'" And then I said, and this is his prayer to God, he said, "'O, o Lord, God of heaven, "'the great and awesome God who keeps, this, keeps his covenant of love "'with those who love him and obey his commands, "'let your ear be attentive and your eyes open "'to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you "'day and night for your servants, the people of Israel.'" I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of of this man. And this man, he's talking about the king, right? He's, He's wanting to go to the king to ask, if he can go help his people, right and in the last line of this um, is uh, he says, "I was cupbearer to the king." right so he's writing this in past tense and so he you know and there's a, there's an admission of um, of insignificance, right? Who am I to be able to uh, ask this prayer of, of our great God right and and, and but he's asking for He's asking God for the opportunity to have sway with this king, right? Understanding that the very act of going to this king and asking anything could invite his death, right? Because he's simply, he's simply a slave in the king's household. So, um, so we talked about, a couple weeks ago, we talked the idea, about the idea of, of a job being a job, or maybe a career, or a calling, right? And which one do we choose to live into every day um, as Christians? And so his job was cupbearer, but through years of trusted service to this king, he had developed a career where he was looked upon as by the king as as a trusted servant, a trusted voice, someone that he that he could he could get advice from even and and just have counsel with, and so. Um, but really, this is the beginning of where Nehemiah begins to see his calling, right? This this vision that God has put on his heart about his homeland and everything that's going on back there, and so the um, so a vision, you know, is born out of a concern for others. I mean, that's the first the first characteristic is that it's born out of a concern um, for others about um, about how things could be and should be, quite frankly. Um, and so he pours it all out in this prayer, right? He is just, he's been weeping and and praying to God night and day, and and and, uh, and you get the sense that he's so deeply moved by this. So so what does he do next? Absolutely nothing, right? Our next verse here is uh, in, in ch- uh, chapter 2. It starts in the month of Nisan in the 20th. Year of King Artaxerxes. That means four months later, he takes his next step, right? And the uh, you know, and, and one of the points there is very, vision rarely, and this was one of the most liberating things for me personally. It was vision rarely requires immediate action, right? Because you got to leave time for God to get to work. You got to leave. You get. You know, God's working on us to build us up to the point where we can take action. He's letting that vision marinate and grow um, in in us. And so so Stanley says, you know, vision rarely requires immediate action, but it always requires patience. Mm -hmm. I'm going to thank you. I can't tell you what a good word that is for me. But I just, uh, you know, and I realize, you know, Shirley, you know, when that project comes up, right? This is for all the wives out there, um, or spouses, let's put it that way. When that project comes up, you don't need to remind me every six weeks about it, right? (laughs) God's working on it, right? God's working on the vision there. So, I mean, if if Nehemiah can wait four months to get to the next step of bringing his, uh, of of rebuilding the the walls of Jerusalem, right? That shed project can probably sit tight for a little bit. So, So the... uh, so the um the God of you know the God of how is kind of the next stage here, and we've we've got to have faith that God is doing what God needs to do right, which is preparing us and preparing the way right because if if God's playing a vision on our hearts it's it's probably not all under our thumb it's not all under our control we're probably just a player in his in his play right and so um so Oftentimes it's, we can't just go to work on making it work, right? And, and so often we run into roadblocks when we try to force something or, or make something happen before its time. And so the um, uh, so that what we have to have faith about is to take action in God's time, based on what He's put in front of us. So so that action might be the first step. Let there be light, right? All right, so. So I just read this all to you guys, um, and I read this one to you. But uh, but we've got to be ready to take action and take that next step, right? And have but have faith that God's got the provision, God's got the process. And so you can see, um, you know, in verse four here, the king says, "What is it that you want?" And what does he do? Praise to God first, right? He prays to God for that guidance, and uh, and and then. God tells him what what the next step is, right? And he asks for, you know, verse 8 it says there, he says, may I have a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the royal park, so that he'll give me timber to make the beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city, the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because, and because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors throughout the region and gave them the king's letters, right? The king gave him letters that he could have free passage through these Several other kingdoms that he had to go through to get to, to get to back to Jerusalem, right? Um, and uh, and so the uh, the interesting part the uh, he had some detractors. I'll, I'll get to that in a second. But basically, you know, we, we've got to take that first step. And so you can see all along the way, you know, Nehemiah has this vision, and then he's told, okay, okay go to. Talk to the king after four months have passed, right? And this is what you're going to ask for. And then when he goes to, uh, and this is all in Nehemiah 2, But when he goes to um, Jerusalem, you know, he takes inventory of the situation. He walks the wall, walks around the wall, takes a look at it. You know, takes takes account for um, what work needs to be done. And then the uh, and the interesting thing is, it was such a big. Such a big task that he was looking at undertaking. There's no way in his earthly mind that he could have possibly done this without um, without God's leading. And so God leads him at each each step of the way, right? And this is, um, let's just say, it's out of his comfort zone, just a little bit, right? I mean, he'd never built a wall around a city before. He'd never rallied the people. And so, so after he goes and looks at the um, and goes and looks at the wall. Um, you know, he, he speaks to uh, his, uh, his, his people, and this is in uh, chapter 2, verse 17. And It says, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. Okay? And so he's, there's the logical argument right there. Hey, let's get together, let's build this wall because you know we're we're a disgrace. You know, we need to, we need to, you know, rebuild this to regain our standing or rebuild our standing. But then he says also, verse 18, I also told them about the gracious hands of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And what did they say? They replied, Well, let's get started, right? But it was that that sharing with them that God had anointed this trip essentially. God had planted this vision, that God had made the way through the king for them to. To, to begin this uh this rebuilding, and so the people said let's let's start rebuilding and so they began the good work and so um, and so the uh, you know verse uh, or chapter three gets into the the rebuilding of the wall and that process behind that um, but then uh but then we hit uh chapter four, five, and six, which is uh four is the uh the opposition right and you guys might recognize. Personalities in your lives that uh, express opposition to um, all kinds of things, right? And so, so in, in Nehemiah's time, the opposition was the neighboring kingdoms, right, or the neighboring um, counties or the neighboring states, where different rulers um, had a vested interest in Jerusalem not rebuilding, right? And so, the um, uh, so Sanballat here is one of the governors of one of the neighboring states and. Um, and when he heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed, and he ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifice? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? And so he's actively working among his peers to try and discredit the, the Jews and what they're trying to do and try to try to cut them cut them down before they could get started. And so Tobiah is another, he's an Ammonite, another, another governor who, said, um, who was at his side and said, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down those walls of stone. He's, he's basically saying, they don't know what they're doing. I and mean, th- th- It'll fall apart. You know? And so, so you had these, these governors of other states who were benefiting from Jerusalem being weakened and being torn down and destroyed and their people impoverished so they did not want this going on, right? They did. They did not. They were not helpful in the Nehemiah. They actually tried to actively um, tear uh, uh, tear him down. And so you can see verse eight here. It says, "They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it." But we prayed to our God and posted a guard night and day, um, that we might meet this threat. And after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the, the officials, and the rest of the people in Jerusalem. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and, and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes, right? And so, so this idea that a vision is, provides passion, motivation, direction, purpose. I mean, he's basically saying, hey, this is our family's lives at stake here. We need to band together and, and resist these outside uh, criticisms, these oppositions um, these mockers, these enemies, these threats right and um, and it was literally their lives on the on the line in this case, and so um you know all the while he's got these outside people that want to disrupt um, what they're doing well at home and internally it's a total mess right they've been impoverished for decades, if not you know over a century that you know people are you know they're starving they're you know they're, they're hungry there's no work there right so there, there's he's dealing with that, right? And trying to bring people around and rally people to this cause, okay? But again, God was moving in that, right? God was moving behind the scenes to where when he said, hey, this is God's vision for us, people got on board and they actually got to work and they built that wall in like 58 days or something like that. I mean, just an unbelievable, literally working day and night, tool in one hand, weapons in the other, right? And that's uh, as the story goes. But the... um, but, uh, but he had to bring them into alignment was, the, uh, was the, uh, the issue. And so Nehemiah chapter 5, it's titled, Nehemiah Helps the Poor. This is where he's trying to bring people in alignment to say, hey, we are all in this together, and we've got to, we've got to band together. And the, the second piece of this is the, um, where he's helping the poor is the, the idea of a moral authority. Um, where he, you can see here, he says, look, I devoted myself to the work on this wall. All of my men are assembled here for the work. We did not acquire any land from this. He also talks about that you know, historically, the governors appointed in Jerusalem were really, um, they would use the people, right? I mean, they would, they, would, they would use the people. They'd get all these benefits from, um, from uh, I don't know what the right word is, but skimming off the top, so to speak, of the, of the people's provisions and whatnot. Um, and he said look i i don't I'm with you I don't do that I, I haven't taken any of the governor's rations. Um, we are here side by side with you, working on this wall to build this up and so he you know he had to he was revered as a leader because he you know he brought the people together and that's how they that's how they got that done and so um, so the uh, the the, the point there is he was working to right the societal wrongs at all the time trying to rally to a cause, you know, saying do, do what, um, you know, not just do what we say or do what we ask, but this is what I'm doing too, right? So the, um, the Maxwell book talks about the idea of transformational leadership, um, you know, and, and transformational leadership talks about, you know, possessing a clear picture, right? This is the vision idea we're talking about here. Um, and then... He talks about you got to focus on your own transformation, and that's part of the point that Nehemiah is talking about. Hey, hey I'm eating my own cooking here, right? I'm walking the talk, right? I'm, I'm right here alongside you, and 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 uh, you know we we teach what we know, but we reproduce who we are, and he knew that implicitly. That this is not just lip service. This is um, this is us uh, all in one. So the um, an interesting, I, I just feel like, in that regard, there's a lot. There's a huge parallel between Nehemiah and Jesus, right? I mean, Jesus came to Earth to walk the walk, right? To show us firsthand what it means to be a follower. And so, um, so again, all all through this time, Nehemiah's got further distractions. Um, the uh, these these turkeys in these other counties or states, Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, they're all uh, working to actively discredit him. Um, And furthermore, they they say, come let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono, which is, you know, 25 miles away. They're they're trying to pull Nehemiah away from his people and pull him away from this effort to build the the wall. And, and, uh, And they're trying to distract him, right? And so we've all does anyone have any distractions in their life when you know you've got a primary aim, focus, um, goal, direction, calling? You know, we've got distractions that try to pull us away, and so um, so Nehemiah here in verse 3, it says, but they were scheming to harm me, so I sent messengers to them with this reply, I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave um, and go down, to, go down to you? And so, um, so he sent that message. I love that. It's just, you know, I'm doing a great work. I don't got time, right? And they sent, like, four times they asked him, you know, come meet us, come meet us. He said, no, I'm, I got important stuff to take care of, right? So he was not swayed from that vision. He's not swayed from that, that calling, that task that, that God put before him. Um, and so I, I love this. This is like, uh, for those of you that think social media is new, um, you know, in ver- verse 5. Here it says, uh, it says, Then after the fifth time, Samballot sent his aid to me with the same message, and his, his hand, in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king, and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah, now this report will get back to the king, so come let us meet together, right? So they're basically saying, if, if you don't come meet with us, word's going to get out to the king that you're trying to usurp him and take, and, and take a kingdom for yourself, right? And so um, the, uh, you see I italicized the, the unsealed letter there, right? So an unsealed letter means that as it traveled to Nehemiah, it traveled through several hands, and of course... Um, this is where I say that's the Facebook of the day, right? Several people read it, right, with the objective of getting the word out that this was the rumor um, with the active intent to, uh, to, to bring outside, further outside pressure against Nehemiah for what they were doing here. Um, and I love his reply. Sometimes Facebook would be simpler if we just used this reply. Um, nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head, Right? How, how, how simple some Facebook converse, conversations could be, with that simple response. But um, but the point is distraction. He was not allowing distraction to come in and take him off willy nilly in 14 different spider web um, directions. Right. So um, so the uh, and then the, the last um, the the last piece I have in here about the um, nurturing of a of a vision is that it requires constant attention and bold leadership, okay? And that's evidenced by Nehemiah's diligence um, in in being diligent in his his God-inspired dream, first of all, in his God-inspired obedience to what to do next, when to move next, what those moves were. Um, And then going to the people and, and rallying them, right, at God's urging, rallying them around this cause, and bringing them, um, bringing them to, uh, to action. And so the, um, the, uh, the, the point there is, that, you know, it requires constant nurturing and attention. Um, and, and one of the, the final principles here is that le- leaders are called to set priorities, and then set the order of those priorities. And so all these, you know, these concepts or these components of a vision to. To be in alignment, to you know, to work from a position of moral authority, to avoid the distractions and the criticisms and the oppositions that will come at you every time you make a commitment to something that's important, right? I don't know if you guys have that experience, but that just seems to be a, a proverb that you're going to get these criticisms, these oppositions when you really set your hand to the plow to move forward in what God is what God has called you to, and so the uh, it requires a constant attention and and, a, and, and bold leadership, but there's a there's a saying around, and I, I may be Maxwell, he says that leaders are called to set priorities and then put the priorities in order. In what order do you need to move? And that's a, that's a business principle. It's a leadership principle. Um, the, um, you know, I was thinking, and as, as a parent, you know, you've got a vision for your children, right? And, it's, and this is frustrating on both ends, um, sons and daughters, Right, this is frustrating on both ends. Um, you know, we we've got three kids, and, and you know you see so much opportunity. You see a vision for your kids that um, that they, they can't see, right? I mean, let, let, let's face them. That's how God is with us, right? We are His kids. You know, and having been um, a son to my parents, I know they saw a vision for me that I couldn't see or understand when I was 16. Griffin, you know, Faith, Noah are not in here, but but we. Um, you know, I have a vision for each of them that they just don't see, and that, and part of that's maturity, um, and it, and it can be frustrating on both ends. But that's God calls us never to quit or never to give up on that, to continue to persist with that vision, continue to to encourage and and lift people up into, into that, right? And so the uh, so that that's part of each of our calling in some way, shape, or form, however that manifests in our lives, in our professions, in our ministry work, in our families. Um, you know and, and, and I, I shared with Griffin the other day we, we were on the, we had an appointment with a, a college counselor, um, and it was four o'clock on Friday afternoon, and I didn't know it, but he had something that was due and, uh, at five o'clock that day. And so I got him on this call, and he initially resisted, but he didn't but I, pers- I persisted. right? So we got that call done. And we're looking at grades over the weekend. I'm like, what happened here? He's like, I had to have that assignment in by five o'clock. Like, well, there's a good life lesson, right? You're the only one in your life that knows what what's going on with everything, right? And so I, I share with them, you know, that there's a, you, part of leadership is setting the priorities, knowing the priorities, but then setting them in order, right? And having the conviction to to step out and uh, and, and put those in order, you know, he he drove to Aspen yesterday for a couple of volleyball games, and one of the, one of the parents said, well, you've got to drive through Grand Junction just because that's where all the other parents are driving. I'm like, that's like the, the fifth fastest way to get there <laughs> for, from, from here, right? So I said, make, a de- you know, make your own decision on the way back, right? And it's an hour and a half shorter, right? So the way they came back. So... Um, but the point is, you know, you've got, you know, part of leadership and stepping out is, is recognizing, you know, what the priorities are and, and then putting those priorities in order based on, you know, because God's downloading stuff to us all the time in this area. So, so we've got to stay attentive to that. And so, um, but, but that specifically that parent-child relationship, when, when we see it, when we have a vision for a kid, um, it can be frustrating on our end with the bumps along the way but it, it's frustrating for us as kids too right because we get you know we get aggravated with the bumps in the road or you know just um but uh, but the, the the thing is never quit um, never quit listening never quit encouraging um, you know, I, I, since so it's, it's like wrestling a bear right you don't you don't quit when you're tired you quit when the bear's tired right <laughs> so the the um you know, and, and it just got me asking the question: You ever wonder what God feels with us, right? Because he, he never gives up. We're all His kids, right? He never gives up on that. So the um, so as as I'm closing out, you know, with a, uh, there was a great story about Abraham Lincoln, um, and the Civil War. I mean, as you know, he was president during the Civil War, and um, and uh, just talking about the the need to take. Old leadership in your in your life. You know when he came in to the presidency, um, Buchanan was the outgoing. James Buchanan was the outgoing president, and his position with the the mess that was going on, you know, in South Carolina, which was kind of the powder keg for the for the Civil War or the beginning of the Civil War. He, he just his position was, I'm out of here pretty soon. So I'm going to wait. Now that's not the godly kind of waiting, right? <laughs> in that case, it was. You know, maybe uh, shirking responsibility, but uh, you know, and, and Lincoln's story of coming into the presidency is in itself a Nehemiah type of a story. I mean, the unlikeliest of of outcomes. Um, but uh, but when when Lincoln came in, um, the Confederate general in the South—I can't remember his name—but he was hunkered outside of this this Union Fort Sumter, and you know, on, on, down South Carolina or on the border of South Carolina, and Charleston, the um, in Charleston. So the uh, you know he came in and he had a decision to make, right? I either reinforce that fort, okay, or I tell the South that we're going to pull back, right? And if you know anything about Lincoln, his vision for the country was one country. He was not going to pull away right, or let let them go. He wanted the country to stay together. He just had a vision that that was important, right? He's quoted as saying, you know, if if freeing the slaves will keep the country together, I'll do it. If not freeing the slaves will keep the country together, I'll do it. If freeing some slaves and and not others will do it, and it keeps the country together, I'll do it, right? He had a steadfast vision for the country, right? And so when he came in, um, you know, his cabinet was they called a team of rivals. A bunch of his opposition in the presidential election were his, were his cabinet voices, and they were saying, hey, there's a third option. The third option is the classic politician option, right? Do nothing. It's working for Buchanan, right? But that was totally out of alignment with his vision, right? And so he went in and, and not only made the decision to reinforce the fort, he sent a letter to the southern general, the Confederate general, and said, hey, I'm reinforcing the fort. And of course, it was game on, right? Beginning of the Civil War. So the, um, so the, the, the point there is that sometimes, well, not sometimes. I mean, bold leadership requires bold leadership, right? And so, so when we're called, when we're put in a calling and God's brought us into something, it's because he's uniquely placed us somewhere. He's uniquely designed us to do something in this earth, Right? And so in that calling, and we, and we see it in Nehemiah, right, who grew from the cupbearer to holding sway with the, uh, with the king to ultimately realizing his part in God's vision for the Jews, that he took the next step with God in each of those cases. And, and we're probably, you know, the, the, the point here is, Vision has a price, right? I mean, Nehemiah paid a price. I mean, the price is paid all along. I mean, he fought the opposition. He fought all this nastiness. He had to bring the people together. I mean, he, he um, you know, in the end, you know, Nehemiah 13, he says, remember me with favor, oh my God. To me, that's like him saying, you know, will I, you know, will I hear that well done, good and faithful servant that we all hope to hear at the end, right? It's... it's uh, you know, he, he was obedient to that call. Um, but you look at the, the price of Lincoln's decision. It was massive, mm-hmm. right? There's a price to a vision, right? And, and the, uh, you know, obviously Lincoln paid with his life, Martin Luther King paid with his life, but we're probably not going to be called into that type of a sacrifice or that type of a price. But Jesus has already paid the price. For each and every one of us, right, and that's that's the beauty in this this whole thing is that you know we just have to embrace that and step out with him and, and be a, and be open to and yearning toward and listening to that call on our life, whatever it is. It doesn't have to be some great position or, or, or job like it was in, in Nehemiah's case. Um, it may be in our household as a as a parent as a as a coach as a teacher I mean whatever it is God has each and every one of us in this room moving in the direction of a call if we haven't already if we haven't already been there and so um i mean so so god's vision for us um, is to grow with him in our leadership our personal leadership of self our personal um, our personal vision with him in our in our daily lives, and it's outside. It's easy to talk about this stuff here, but outside of Sunday morning, you know, we've got to we've got to be arms locked with him day in day out, right? And so, um, in, in embracing that, and so the uh, so that that job, maybe a parent, maybe a family member, maybe a caregiver, maybe in your church or your ministry, maybe you know as a coach, as an educator, as I said, um, but. You know, our, 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 oh, I do have one last piece, and I'm wrapping it up right here, but the, um, I just want to share that in closing um, from a, just a, a devotional within the book of Nehemiah here. It says, Christ came to give us a sense of calling in our everyday work, right? And if we can, if we can embrace that our work is not just a job, it's not even just a career, but it's a calling, um, this is where the world is changed and where the kingdom is built. Um, work that produces something beyond myself excites me. Inviting God into my work opens the door for new creativity. And being in the right job, doing the kind of work where I give more than I receive brings a whole new light into my strength as a human. Right, And that's, um, that's the beauty of Work that's the beauty of our calling and and the beauty of how we are designed to be the hands and feet of Jesus here on this earth. All right, I hope uh, I will. Can I close in prayer? What, Um, all right, all right, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your leadership in our lives, Lord. We thank you that, that you have a plan, you have a vision, you have a a direction for each and every one of us, and that you've uniquely gifted us, and you've uniquely built us, and designed us to live into that, to that vision, for our lives and for your plan, Lord. And just pray that you continue to strengthen each and every one of us as we walk out of here today, to continue to grow towards you in that, and to grow into that, into that, uh, into that disciple of yours, Lord. And we just pray, um, we pray for your patience, and we pray for your strength uh, and your and your, your steadfast. Attention to us to help us grow in this role with you. In Jesus' name, we thank you for this. Amen. All right. And uh, I think our. Somebody's got to help me out with our. Everybody stand up. Yes, we can get ready to go. Sorry. It's, it's uh, amateur day here, but um, help me out. What is it? Oh, it's right there. Yes. Je- All right. On the count of three, we're going to see Je- Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. All right. One, two, three. Jesus, Jesus is Lord, Lord over the Gunnison, Gunnison Basin God. and the world. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org like our Facebook page or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.